Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Woman in Compliance podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley, and today we welcome back a returning guest to the show, Alison Taylor. Welcome, Alison. What have you been up to since we featured you last? My gosh, well, thank you so much for having me back again because the mm-hmm. pandemic has completely dissolved my memory. I have no <laughs> idea. I think, it was, I think it was before the pandemic we last spoke. So <laughs> in the meantime, I have changed jobs and mm-hmm. I now work at NYU. I run a sort of little think tank called Ethical Systems and I am trying to write a book and doing a lot mm-hmm. of different things. So Apart from everything going on in the world, which is quite enough for anyone, uh, quite a lot of career changes around here. Yes, that's wonderful news. And of course, for us hearing that you've got a book on the way, that's very exciting. And I know a lot of the compliance community, including myself, eagerly await your work. So we look forward to seeing that in due course. What, um, what are you writing about? I am writing about the changing landscape for business ethics. So it's definitely a compliance friendly book. Um, Excellent. Really, um, one of the things I'm talking about is how we have expanded our notion of what's ethical Mm. beyond just what's legal um, and some of the headaches and opportunities that creates for companies and what to do about it. So um, that's my starting point. Yeah. Yeah, right up my alley and um, I will be ready and waiting for publication. Um, In the ESG space, we're seeing a lot of people touting themselves as ESG professionals when in reality, there are only a very small handful of people with considerable experience in the area. And I think we're even starting to see some consultancy firms doing similarly in terms of marketing their services as being Uh, ESG experts um, and centers of excellence. I personally find this exaggeration where it truly is an exaggeration and not genuine credentials to be unethical. What's your advice for folks who are not ESG experts but want to practice in the area to promote themselves honorably? And how should companies approach hiring for ESG roles when there isn't a lot of existing experience and certainly not enough to go around for the bonanza of jobs that we're seeing advertised? And I know that was a huge mouthful on my side. So if you need me to repeat the two-pronged question, Uh, just let me know. (laughs) Uh, You might need to repeat the second part. Let's kind of start at the beginning and I'll say a few things. Yeah. I would start off by saying if you are calling yourself an EXG expert, that's a pretty good sign you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) As your question suggests, there's not a single thing called ESG. Mm. There is a handful, and I mean literally a handful, of people that founded this field and coined the term ESG um, at the UN and have been working on questions of responsible investment for decades. Mm. Those handful can call themselves ESG experts. I would never call myself an ESG expert um, for that matter. Mm -hmm. So the point here being, which is obviously quite an obvious point, there is a lot of a lot going on under environmental, climate change, biodiversity, water, plastics, 
you name it. There's a huge amount going under social, whether you are thinking about employees and diversity, equity and inclusion or supply chains or human rights, um, various kind of thought forms of social risk there. Mm-hmm. And then we've got governance, which will be far more um, familiar with um, to the compliance community. So I think it's important for almost all of us, no matter what job we're doing, and I really don't mind if you're in compliance or procurement or risk or sales or business development or what, to have an understanding of the basic concepts and, and what we're really talking about. But otherwise, my advice here is really to take the expertise you already have, because mm-hmm. everyone listening to this podcast and, and everyone out there with any kind of career track record will have existing expertise and understand how how you can apply that expertise towards driving a greater understanding of of ESG topics. Mm -hmm. So what I would really kind of say is this is like the Wild West at the moment. Mm. Um, We haven't really landed on um, any consensus, whether it's on what we report, how we drive change, what the role of business even is, what the point of all Mm. of this is. And so it's so far from being that we've got any answers we're right needing to ask all these questions. And if you want a good approach to ESG, you kind of need depth more than breadth. You need Mm. people that really understand supply chains or really understand climate change or really understand corporate governance to be looking at the way we approach ESG and saying, how do we make this element? How do we make the G better? How do Mm. we make the E better? And so I I would encourage everybody get understanding the basic concepts that's not rocket science and then mm. understand how you can bring the expertise you've got to solving these new these challenges that we're now facing and thinking about how you can bring your organization forward and i like that because everyone has a way to contribute then mm-hmm. it's the same advice I give to an undergrad student on how would you how do i get to work in sustainability they ask mm-hmm. me and I would say the same thing. Go and learn something that you're interested in. Go and learn marketing. Go and do a law degree. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, go and get some kind of expertise. And then you will be able to contribute to a company's ESG journey. So mm-hmm. I think that's what I'd say. Awesome. Thank you. And then the second question was, you know, and I think this is what has driven a lot of people to get excited and call themselves experts is that, suddenly companies have realized that uh, stakeholders, internal and external, uh, are now interested in ESG commitments and results. And so they are looking to put dedicated, sometimes individual, one person, or even a team, if you're you're fortunate, um, into an ESG role. And so what's your advice for companies that are really trying to compete for that handful of people and maybe they're not going to be able to afford or the resource is just not available. What do you recommend that companies do when they're employing for um, their new, shiny new ESG roles? Yeah, so another really awesome question. So one of the things that's um, really fundamental in the idea of ESG is this idea of materiality, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just this, it's another word for relevance at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And so what you're supposed to do when you're just starting out on an ESG journey is a materiality assessment mm-hmm. where you look at all the relevant environmental and social and governance issues for your company and you prioritize them 
based on what's important for your company performance and also based on what stakeholders care about. Mm -hmm. And this varies a lot by industry. So your most material issue, if Mm -hmm. you're in oil and gas, is going to be climate change. Mm -hmm. You work in healthcare, your most material issue is going to be access and affordability of drugs. Mm -hmm. If you're in a social media platform, that's going to be the the social impact of technology. Mm -hmm. So what I would really advise is, is companies, rather than trying to go and hire someone that's worked in financial services on ESG reporting, mm-hmm. figure out what your material issues are. So do that assessment, get some external consultants if you need to, mm-hmm. and then hire someone with expertise in that. So mm-hmm. if you want a head of ESG for a healthcare company, find someone that really understands access and affordability and social impact. If you want a head of ESG in oil and gas, find someone that understands the climate transition. Mm-hmm. If you want a head of ESG um, for social media, find someone that's a real human rights and tech expert, and then supplement with the other expertise you need either elsewhere in the team or there's a lot of kind of external um, help and support you can get. And so find someone that's deep in the in the knowledge on the issues that you need and don't try and cover all bases because you won't be able to tick the box on everything. Mm, nice. That's really good advice. Very sensible. Thank you. Um, and in, in terms of the ESG journey, it seems like we're going to be in it for the long haul. So I don't want to just ask you, Generally, tell me, just do some future gazing for me, Alison. Let's be a little more precise in terms of what we can expect to be thinking about in the short term. um, What do you think is the future for ESG? Well, I don't think um, reporting and especially climate change disclosure is going to go away. There's Mm -hmm. so much pressure from um, both the EU and the US in the EU as well, um, a lot more pressure to um, report and do diligence on your human rights impact. So Mm. those are all fairly predictable things that we can say are kind of definitely going to Mm. happen. Mm -hmm. I think something else we can say is definitely going to happen is more scrutiny of, I would call it corporate political responsibility. So more scrutiny of um, political donations, lobbying Mm. and tax responsibility because Mm. activists are really, really going there. Young people are really, really going there. I've had two conversations already today with people who are on boards and just trying to figure out what do we issues do we speak up on? What co- political party should we donate to? Mm. Who should we stop donating to? What are people going to say? So mm. all of that, I mean, we just need to look at how polarised America is now. Mm. None of that is kind of going anywhere. So I think with, with, with some certainty, we can say um, that boards and C-suites and compliance officers are going to be um, wrestling with this, wrestling over accurate, comprehensive disclosure. That's something that's mm-hmm. really going to hit compliance teams mm-hmm. uh, for the foreseeable future. I will mm-hmm. riskily make a longer term prediction. <laughs> I think in five years, what we will mm-hmm. probably see is a lot of people saying, well, it never made sense to put ESG together. Let's mm. break this up. You can't, you know, you can't think about this as one bucket. It doesn't make mm. sense. 
Let's mm. look at what governance looks like. And this, mm. this I think, is, is predictable. We're sort of seeing it already. Mm. But it's quite obvious, you know, to, to sort of say that there are trade-offs, right? So mm. you close a factory or you sell your oil and gas assets in Russia, you're going to make your emissions look better. Mm-hmm. But you're also putting a lot of people out of work and you mm-hmm. might not be, um, in, um, you know, affecting their human rights positively. So mm-hmm. the idea that there's one thing called ESG that you can be good at Mm. I think that's for the time while we start Mm -hmm. to kind of try and get a grip on this in five years I'm pretty sure there'll be maybe less I'm pretty sure Mm. there'll be a lot of people saying this doesn't make sense as a single thing we've got to get Mm. a lot more granular and a lot more nuanced so um seeing the ESG as one sort of term and culmination slipping away and really starting to look at specializing so um, maybe yeah. sustainable, uh, sustainability and environmental care in one in its own bucket and then um, the um, human rights, um, DEI, personnel side of it in another and then governance. Because that's different people apart, you know, it is. back to it our is. point that there's no such thing as an ESG expert. Exactly. Different expertise and also different companies have different exposure on different things. So yeah. There's not a kind of one size um, fits all approach here. And so hopefully what that will mean is companies could be much more focused on the issues that actually affect them and get the expertise they need rather than trying to kind of tick this one big box, if you know. Yeah, I I do. And interestingly, how we're structured at my company is that there is a sustainability team and then there is separately human rights and labour law. Um, we also have a um, sort of a head of DEI um, and then of course um, governance I think really tends to still sit with us in corporate. Well that's very very smart and I think um, and so I think and you sort of see as well you sort of it gets a bit absurd right like we you can cut I mean people ask me quite often it's so is anything not an ESG issue because yeah you know, we have this idea of ESG issues and then what then there was COVID and so now public health's an ESG issue and yeah. then two months ago we decided you Ukraine's an ESG issue and then right. something else in another two years now on sports yep. up and then that'll be the top ESG issue so it kind of gets stupid <laughs> well it does you know right so when we're talking about hiring Maybe you think, great, this person who's been an environmental lawyer for many years could be our new head of sustainability, but do they necessarily know anything about governance and um, the HR side of the the S? So it does make a lot of sense. Um, It's interesting to hear you. You heard it here first, folks, on the Great Warning Compliance (laughs) podcast. Um, I, I think what you've said makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure it's as risky a prediction as you um first first indicator yeah, I'm I think it's get people are gonna be like wow that ESG term was stupid <laughs> what were we thinking <laughs> good yeah that makes a lot of sense to me thank you for going above and beyond on speaking on that um Sounds sounds good. Well, it doesn't sound good, but it sounds like we'll get there in the end. We'll muddle our way through. It'll be easier for companies because at the moment, what you get is people being like, "Oh, this is overwhelming. How are you going to get around this?" There's like 40 metrics. What now it says to be running around gathering 40 metrics mm. for the rest of my life, and I don't think like if we go back to the 
point, which is really about making corporations be more ethical and responsible, mm-hmm. is it a good use of their time that they're spending mm-hmm. their entire life trying to get metrics to make investors happy? I don't think so. It's a better use of their time that they're focusing on the things that they can have an impact on and that mm-hmm. their stakeholders care about. So mm-hmm. I hope that this happens. I'm yeah. saying to try and make it happen. Let's put it good. that way. Good. I'm on, I'm on board with that. <laughs> So I wanted to turn to um, some of the reporting um, challenges. Well, not necessarily reporting, actually. So some of the biggest ones that we hear about are greenwashing and zero washing um, as being challenges that companies are currently facing. And so I think of them as kind of reporting challenges. But I wanted to ask you maybe more broadly, but um, specifically beyond the greenwashing and zero washing, which I think we hear about the most, what other challenges are companies facing in light of ESG initiative initiatives, commitments, and reporting? And how can they best combat these challenges? Yeah, I love this question. And I think one of the reasons I love this question is I think it mirrors a lot of the challenges of being in compliance, right? Mm. So if you think about compliance reporting, what n- most companies report on, right, is proportion of employees that did the training, number of investigations, number of terminations, and, and there's a very strong incentive for you as a compliance officer to say 100% did the training, right. tick, mm-hmm. look all right for the regulator. Mm-hmm. It does 100% of people don't doing the training mean your compliance risk is lower? The training, mm-hmm. right? Depends mm-hmm. if they listened, depends if it was relevant, depends what else is going on in the culture, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think what's true of, of, of any business ethics um, function, and so ESG and compliance, is that because companies are trying to please either the investor or the regulator, they've got a very strong incentive to be like, it's all right, everybody, nothing to see here. We've got everything under control. We've mm-hmm. ticked this box. No problem. Don't target us. Regulator, keep off our back. And so we mm-hmm. treat it as a sort of defensive PR, I would say. Mm-hmm. We treat it as, as, as sort of saying we've got everything under control. And then your question is about kind of greenwashing and zero washing and woke washing and purpose washing. Mm. So companies treat this basically as a sort of stealth form of PR. Mm. And they're doing that for their own reasons because they don't mm-hmm. want investors to turn against them and they certainly mm-hmm. don't want DOJ in their offices. Understandable. Mm. Mm. The problem with that, Mary, is that all this stuff, whether it's it's an ethical culture or whether it's climate change or whether mm-hmm. it's DEI, it's damn difficult to get it right. Mm. Companies don't have control over everything. You mm-hmm. can set DEI goals for your workforce and C-suite mm-hmm. and board. You've mm-hmm. still got a pipeline problem and an education system problem and a cultural problem and an unconscious bias problem. Mm. You can set climate goals, but as you probably know, most companies, the vast majority of their emissions is in their supply chain. Mm. So how much can you really drive climate goals with your suppliers? So mm-hmm. part of the problem I think that we're having is that it's very hard for companies and the people in companies to say this stuff is really, really, really hard. We're mm-hmm. on a journey. We're not mm-hmm. getting it all right. Our culture isn't perfect yet. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, we can't do anything without the government support and you can't 
have that conversation because you're worried you'll get slammed. Mm. And so one of the consequences of this, which I think is really, really sad, is that very often the best companies get the most flack on social media and the most criticism. If you're ambitious and you Mm -hmm. try and do something different, you sort of stick your head above the parapet. Mm -hmm. And then all the activists are like, oh, now we're going to target Mars. Right. It's been working on the cocoa supply chain and there's still Mm -hmm. child labor in the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Mars is brilliant on human rights. It's probably Mm. one of the leading companies out there and it gets by far the most flack from what Mm -hmm. I can see. So what I think we all need to do is try and have a better conversation um, Mm -hmm. that acknowledges some of these things. And then there will be less of a temptation to greenwash and wokewash and zero wash Mm because we'll actually be having a realistic conversation about what it takes to drive change. Yeah, probably a failed hope, but that's what I actually think (laughs) we need to do. This reminds me a little bit of data analytics sort of circa 2019. And at that point, we all knew that we were supposed to be doing it. And I think everyone individually felt like they were very far behind and and assumed that every other company was more advanced than them. And then, you know, when we started doing benchmarking of, you know, how much are you doing? It was such a shock, but also combined relief at, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. Um, And I think you make a really great point that sometimes it is the people who stand up trying to do the right thing are the ones who end up getting hugely criticized when those who have, you know, their head buried in the sand or who are just quietly not attracting any attention but are probably doing worse, they're able to get away with it. And so I think you make a, a really great point. Sometimes the imperfect but doing their best and doing better than everybody else is the example that we should be making and praising rather than and drawing I think, attention. I mean, if I think sophist- people that are sophisticated know this. I used to interview a lot of investors and they uh, mm. about kind of um, sustainability reports and they'd be mm. like, oh, I can't read another tick green tick report can't read another report with smiling women in hard hats about how brilliant Mm -hmm. everything is Mm -hmm. I want to see something real because Mm -hmm. and so Microsoft is a really good example they just put out a sustainability report saying we've missed our targets we missed our targets it's Mm -hmm. really hard we're still and 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 to me that is what's needed because mm. otherwise we're not going to have a realistic conversation and we're not going to have anything done. So I say, well done, Microsoft. Yeah. Let's have more companies doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and we saw this fairly recently with Rio Tinto as well, and they took the brave step of publishing yeah. their culture of integrity exactly. results that were really not great. And but here's the here's the rub, right? Is that there are lots of companies that have terrible cultures. They know that they have a toxic culture. They're not doing anything to fix it or take accountability and responsibility. And that's what Rio Tinto did. So on the one hand, there were a lot of people criticizing them for having a crappy culture. And I think that was the wrong focus. Um, they, they deserve, uh, yeah, and you don't, you don't change, you're not going to change anything unless mm-hmm. you acknowledge problems and say mm-hmm. we're drawing the line in the sand. Completely mm-hmm. agree with you. Um, they've had a lot of problems, but mm-hmm. I thought it was extremely admirable and it made mm-hmm. me think very highly of the new CEO mm-hmm. that he, um, he put that out uh, publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think City as well commissioned a racial audit. I mean, some companies oh, have been forced to do these mm-hmm. racial audits. Mm-hmm. Certainly Tyson Foods was. But, um, but I think, again, like, do 
doing that proactively and then mm-hmm. saying, look at our problems. I think because we're in such a low trust environment, I think mm. actually that can do you more good than saying, don't look over here. Everything's <laughs> wonderful. It sounds like nonsense, right? So. Uh, I have a, um, a, a training team and um, one of the things that we've joked about is the um, there's a gif of a dog who's surrounded by flames and he says he's just sitting there with his mug saying this is fine and that's what that reminds me of is that you know there are situations where people are willing to say that and then I got myself when I was in Indianapolis a dinosaur version and sort of like asteroids flaming asteroids coming down on the dinosaurs and they're saying this is fine and that's the yeah the equivalent is that when we're saying this is fine and we're it, part of that's just a lack of radical candor with ourselves. It's not just for the third-party stakeholders or trying to fool our internal stakeholders, but you need to be honest with yourself as well as the first step. And Great point. Mm. That's a great point. And you need to model that. You need to model that honesty. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's uh, so critical to speaking up, right? You know, yeah. You just say why aren't you speaking up be braver mm-hmm. you've also got to make it easier to be brave yeah <laughs> yeah good point good point the psychological safety and all that goes with that um Alison you're one of my favorite people to follow on social media and for anyone who's not already following Alison I would encourage you to do so I'm going to quote myself um there was a time when I I published an article in March of last year and it's actually on your topic of um the the evolution of our field from regulatory compliance to ethics and integrity, reputational risk and doing the right thing. And I said in the post um, uh, over a year ago now, when I referenced you, I said everything that comes out of her mouth is gold because you are so consistently good at putting out not not just thought-provoking but just really compelling um, pieces of of thought leadership and calling out. Um, I think I'm going to curse for the first time on the podcast, but I'm actually not the first person to have done so. So I feel feel comfortable calling out bullshit, which is is so important. Um, and so follow Alison if you're not already. Um, but one of the things that I love is when you talk about something that is a load of bollocks. And so I'd love to hear from you. Is there any pet peeve of the moment that you'd like to discuss? God, there's so many. Um, <laughs> I wait. I'm, honestly, Mary, I wake up every morning. I read the paper. I'm like, what am I annoyed about this morning? Um, I um, there's so many, but I suppose what I suppose. Let's go back to ESG. Mm-hmm. The point of ESG is not to make investors more money. We mm-hmm. we spend a lot of time being like, what's the business case for ESG? Does ESG drive alpha? No, the point is that the world is overheating and there's terrible inequality and there's Mm. terrible instability. That's the point of what Mm -hmm. we're trying to do. And there was even, there was a survey from HSBC in the Financial Times a few weeks ago saying, why are you engaged in sustainability? And it had this multiple choice question. It was regulatory risk and it was the business Mm -hmm. case. And they gave the the people running this survey gave every option apart from I actually care about sustainability. (laughs) That wasn't an option. Um, And so um, we sure, and and now you start to see if you read the kind of responsible business media, oh, now there's a backlash building against ESG because ESG stocks have been down this year. And I'm like, guys, 
stop. <laughs> what we're actually trying to do is something about climate change and inequality mm. and our unhappy employees and inclusion mm. and making the world better. Let's mm. just keep our eyes on the prize, please. Mm. Really fantastic point. I love it. And the thing is, <laughs> the irony is, when you do the right thing, when you genuinely care about your stakeholders and the world around you, oftentimes profit and higher revenues come yes. as a corollary of that anyway. So I, I, I'm really on board with that. And, and I also want to thank you for choosing something ESG related because it helped me keep my um, today's <laughs> session and theme. So thank you for that. <laughs> and my final question for you today, Alison, is if you could give an ethics award for something up until this point in time in 2022, what would it be for and why? Yeah, well, I got I, I thought about the answer to this when I was preparing for this webinar, and there's such an obvious answer. And I'm going to give the and and, and I I thought about a few other things, but it's 2022. We've got to give it to President Zelensky. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not anybody's idea of an ethical, mm-hmm. inspirational leader before Putin's invasion. Mm-hmm. Lots of problems, in fact, with kind of navigating corruption. He's a comic comic. He used to mm-hmm. play a president on TV. Mm-hmm. He had sort of a mixed track record. But as a leader to be, and, and, and right as soon as the invasion started, the US offered to airlift him out. A bunch mm-hmm. of other people offered to airlift him out. And that's mm-hmm. what leaders generally do. I mean, mm-hmm. he is top target for a Russian state-sponsored murder. And mm-hmm. he has stayed in the country. And I think we can all see the results from how much he's inspired his people and the rest of the world. So mm-hmm. to contrast that with the president, with the prime minister at still at the time of writing or the time of recording, Boris <laughs> Johnson, and I'm not making a political point. This is a point mm-hmm. about leadership. Mm-hmm. And as you will know, Mary, there is nothing that degrades a national or organizational culture faster than the notion that leaders think there's one rule for me mm-hmm. and one rule mm-hmm. for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that sort of is the norm, right? It's mm-hmm. the norm in companies and it's mm-hmm. certainly the norm in countries. Mm-hmm. And so the contrast between Boris and Zelensky to mm-hmm. me is absolutely striking and absolutely glaring. Mm-hmm. And it's volumes about our current leadership crisis and what we need to do to resolve that. Mm. We know that what we all want from a leader is someone that's in it with us and is um, subject to the same rules as us and is kind of taking us along on that journey. We know that instinctively. That's the kind of thirst that we all have for that kind of leader. And to me, Zelensky has demonstrated this in spades and Mm. the contrast with uh some of the other leaders um, I could mention but definitely Boris Mm. is incredibly striking yes I think it's fair to say that no matter your sexuality we all have a crush on Zelensky right now uh fabulous fabulous um awarding there um I, I couldn't agree with you more on that so um wonderful positive well I say positive um, to, to, to think on. But um, I think uh, um, it wasn't until you said this that I, I wanted to make another point, which is really about, isn't it interesting how where we find ourselves in 2022, the war in the Ukraine is something that we, I think, ordinarily would have put under the bucket of well, this is politics, and that doesn't belong in the corporate world. And now we're at a point in time where companies can no longer be silent on things and just categorize them as being taboo because it's 
politics, for example, when it goes broader than that, when the implications are so much stronger, when they're, when it's about humanity, um, we're forced to take a stand and we're forced to make a, a view. And I don't really know where I'm going with this, except to say that I, I think it is interesting and and part of the evolution that these types of things that perhaps we wouldn't have considered appropriate to talk about in the office many years ago um, are now going to be part of the the present time and the future in terms of how we consider we're going to be doing the right thing as a, a corporate entity or a corporate personality. 100%. I mean, I think that was another, that's another prediction I, I should have made earlier, but I'll make it now. Um, mm. I think the, the convergence of kind of political risk and ethics mm-hmm. is something that's going to keep happening. And, and you're right, this is... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think what this has really shown as well um, is that business can respond to an ethical imperative. We tend to have this conversation and we have it in compliance. We certainly have it in ESG. Like you've got to make the business case. The executives Mm. aren't going to listen unless you can prove that doing the right thing makes more money. Well, Mm. I'm sorry, but we have seen businesses pull out of Russia over the past few months and lose enormous amounts of money Mm. because it's the right thing to do. So, we can, in fact, recognise an ethical imperative and we can make moral decisions as human beings and maybe we should be a little less afraid to say so. Mm, love it. Fantastic point to end on. And, Alison, thank you so much. Uh, Lisa and I wish you the best of luck with um, the uh, light at the end of, end of the tunnel aspect of writing the book. We know how difficult uh, such an undertaking is and um, wish you much success for that and everything else that you're doing for the rest of the year and look forward to seeing you on LinkedIn. Thank you. And yeah, if anyone wants to help me procrastinate from writing my book, <laughs> find me on LinkedIn and make some comments and I'll 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 be right there responding. <laughs> Thank you, Alison. Take care. Take care. So nice to see you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.